through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Please be seated. Good morning. <clears throat> Jim, thank you for reading. Appreciate your perseverance. <laughs> and thankful for your thoughtfulness in that. I really do. I think that's a, a wonderful thing. Um, praise God for his word and praise God for his recognition of the people that are involved in this redemptive history that we are gloriously part of. It's a wonderful thing. This morning, as we're making our way through uh, Hebrews, we are in chapter 3. <clears throat> and And yes, it does say verse 19 up there. So, um, by the grace of God, <laughs> we will we'll make that. Reading through this uh, text of Scripture, I think that um, this is a passage I think that should be uh, <clears throat> excuse me, familiar to all of us as, as the people of God, all of us who are part of uh, a local church. We need to be aware of what we're being encouraged to do and how this is an important part of our congregational life. This is important instructions. Uh, I mean, I don't, every instruction from God's Word is important. This particularly applies to each of us as we're walking out the faith and trying to encourage one another in the church. I mean, what does the church do? What does the church look like? What's it to be like? We're going to look at some of that function today from this text of Scripture. We're going to talk about perseverance is sustained in the fellowship of the church. We believe that <clears throat> part of God's grace to us as those who have come to faith in Christ, those who have been brought to faith in Christ, is that God by His mercy and grace, having forgiven us and cleansed us and called us righteous in His Son, and as He works in and through us to shape us, to conform us to the image of Christ, and there is no one here that can be conformed to the image of Christ without God dealing specifically with our sinfulness and our selfishness. There is abiding sin in us. I wish that were not the case. That gives us hope for the future. That gives us hope for eternity. But 
although we are declared righteous in Jesus and absolutely stand positionally righteous because of the work of our precious Lord and Savior, we are not that in the flesh. That being said, refinement is necessary. And perseverance is involved in that because refinement's not easy. When you're being shaped and pressed into the image of Jesus Christ by the Spirit, there's a lot of things that are going on to make that happen. And you and I could not endure that if it weren't for the grace of God. We would not persevere through those things if it weren't for the grace of God. And the evidence of that persevering grace shows that we truly are people of God. So the church is a part of that process. What we read here in this passage of Scripture is that the the local church, the congregation, is a significant part of how God keeps us, sustains us, and causes us to persevere in this faith. We have a part to play in God's activities in and through us as His church. In re- recorded in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18, Jesus makes this statement. Now, when Jesus had come into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven And I tell you, you are Peter, small rock. But on this rock, bigger rock, big rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The bigger rock is the confession that God inspires in the hearts of his people. The church is not built on Peter. The church is built on the gospel reality of Christ. And this church is being built. Christ is being involved in in the building of a church. He says, you're Peter, but on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church marches forward triumphant in the grace of Christ. The church is being empowered by the grace of Christ. The church is being shaped and molded by the grace of Christ. You see, the people of the Lord walking in the will and ways of the Lord is how he's going to build his church. This is absolutely empowered by Christ. It's, we, we're hopeless and helpless without his power and his work and his spiritual life within us. But because those things abide and those things reside, God is going to use his church as part of the process of building his church. This is going to involve edification. 
Edification, that means helping one another grow and build. Building that structure. We're going to edify one another. We're going to try to encourage one another, speak truth to one another, help one another out, affirm God's grace when we see it, and challenge people when we don't. Edification is part of that. The church is also going to grow through evangelism. That means we're going to share the gospel with people that don't know Christ. It is part of our responsibility to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who don't know it. In your homes, fathers, you're responsible to be bringing up your children in the instruction and wisdom of God. You should be sharing the gospel with them and challenging your children to walk in that truth. This should be a constant reality in our homes. And our household should be a, a light to this community. Manifesting the grace and glory of Jesus Christ and the glories of this gospel hope. Also along with edification and evangelism comes the necessity of correction and discipline. The church cannot grow outside of correction and discipline. When people stray, that needs to be dealt with. When people are outside of that, discipline needs to take place. We need to be a church where correction and discipline happens. I, I know it's not a popular subject and it doesn't sound friendly and fuzzy. Because it's serious business, folks. Being in the church is serious stuff. And we're not trying to build a church based on what we think and what we feel and what we desire. We need to build a church based on what God's Word says. And we need to encourage one another and challenge one another to walk in that truth. So another part of this is not only do we have edification, evangelism, and correction and discipline, but... <laughs> A vivid reality of this is also winnowing the chaff. There are times when Christ and His grace appears in the, His church and those that are really not part of the church are shown to be not part of the church. And they are exposed. And like the pitchfork throws the kernels of wheat into the air and the chaff is blown away these things happen in the church as well it's painful it's not fun but it's absolutely necessary because if the church is going to be the church we got to follow what god says we got to take his word to heart and i think what we look at here is in this passage of scripture in hebrews is an important part of these instructions about how christ builds his church his grace residing in our hearts and how we're to be involved in, in the life and function of His church. I would say practically every Christian would want to say, I want to persevere faithful to the end, right? If you don't feel like saying that and you think you're a Christian, please talk to me like to encourage you we we should be wanting to say i want to persevere faithful to the end if that is our heart and that is our desire then what we have to understand as god's people is the church is going to be a part of that the life and function of the church is going to be part of that we're not these you know just little individual you know plants growing out on our own, doing our own thing. 
we're, we're to be brought together as a holy garden, connected and manifesting the grace of Christ, helping one another in this way. So let's look at that in particular. Believers must see the importance of supporting the faith of one another. Believers must see the importance of supporting the faith of one another. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Blepho is the, the word. And the idea is sight, seeing, looking, experience through sight. That means open your eyes. You're seeing these things. There's this experience. Take care. The idea is, in light of the context, is that of being on the lookout for those who are wandering and struggling. See to it. Take care. Open our eyes. See. Look around. Do we care for one another? Are we concerned how one another are walking and how one another are living out the truth? Is that a concern to us? Are we just, hey, you know what? <laughs> it's Sunday. We're going to church. Load up the family. Let's head here. Okay, church is over. Let's go home. The church is more than just that. We're called as God's people to take care, to open our eyes, to look at the needs of one another. We are to keep our eyes open for fellow believers who have fallen into the slough of sin and selfishness. Wouldn't it be great if, if we could say, sin and selfishness really don't impact us. But such is not the case. We're, we're battling with sin and selfishness regularly. But when sin and selfishness so come and dominate someone's life and takes them into that pit and they, they're, they're brought down by the reality of that, they're in the slew of that. We're to be concerned about that. We're to be caring about that. <laughs> the point of this is not to mock the stupidity of it all. I mean, what are you thinking? That's not, the, that's not it. Nor are we to jump in the slough with them. Say, yeah, I can understand, what's, I understand why you're doing this. I understand how you feel. No, open your eyes to see the people that are struggling, they're battling, they're, they find themselves overcome with sin and selfishness and say, man, we don't want to see that happening. What can we do to help you? How can we strengthen you? How can we get you out of this pit? Our concern for the community of faith demands that we all work hard to keep the focus of our fellow warriors on Jesus and on obedience as we together fight this enemy on the battlefield of all of life. All of life is where we're to be manifesting this grace and glory of Christ. We need to keep one another faithful. You don't want to fight this war alone. You don't want to go onto this battlefield by yourself. And you don't want your fellow warriors to be distracted. 
You want them fixed on the purpose and what's going on. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, newly born congregations of faith, called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ, engaged in this battle, engaged in this refinement. Christ is building his church. And Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, and he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to be on the lookout for anyone any one of our number, anyone among us who might be caught in a transgression. That doesn't mean we're sitting around and say, oh, I saw that. I think you sinned. That's not the point. They're caught in the transgression. They've become overwhelmed. They've jumped in the slew of sin and selfishness, and we're concerned about them. They're living in a manner that is not consistent with God's words of obedience. And we care enough about them that we're going to say, we don't want to see that happening. You are a spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Restoration should be our passion, should be our prayer. We want to see our brothers and sisters who have fallen, picked up, dusted off, restored. Let's get back in the battle. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Never forget how you, too, can fall prey to sin and selfishness. It's, it's not the arrogant that restore the fallen. It's those who understand the pressures and the battle. And they have care and they have concern and they have sympathy to what's going on. Not empathy, sympathy. Not jumping in this thing, but caring enough to say, we got to get going. Sometimes, brothers and sisters in Christ, what we need to do is in our fellowship with one another when we hear the, the realities of what's going on in people's hearts. And they're saying, they're communicating, I'm off on this, this is where my focus is, this is what I'm doing that you care enough to those people when you recognize that is a straying heart, that heart is not where it should be, that we care enough to say something, we care enough to speak truth where there's falsehood, that we care enough to shine light where there's darkness and say, come on, man, let's get in this. Let's not go astray. We need to be together. We need to fight. We've got to be the church triumphant. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. An evil, unbelieving heart is a disobedient heart. You're evil because you're not trusting God. Your heart is not focused on God. You're not walking with Him in faith, so you're walking in disobedience. 
So we need to be on the lookout for straying sheep in the congregation. And that means all of us, not just the elders, not just the deacons. All of us need to be concerned about the obedience of the body. We got to care enough to see those who are faltering, who are failing, and restore them. The Lord gives his people this clear instruction. You know, to know the word and his instruction, you know, we have this. To know the word and his instruction and possibly memorize some of its content is not our only responsibility. There are many, many people who know a lot about the word. There are many of you, we could sit down and we could, do a, we could do a Bible test and, and you'd score really well. And there are some of you that, man, you, you could quote massive quantities of scripture. And that would be darn impressive, huh? And it is important to know the word, isn't it? And it is important to commit the scripture to memory, isn't it? To hide that word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. We hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against him. The Lord's people are to do what the Lord tells them to do. When God says, this is the path, walk in it, we should do that. When God says, that's a pathway of destruction, avoid it, we should avoid it. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What, what is James trying to encourage the people of God to do? Is it possible that we hear the word, we know the word, and we think we're good? And he says, don't deceive yourselves. You need to put this into practice. This word that we know should be lived out by us. And it should be lived out by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because it's what's important. Walk in obedience. And encourage people to do the same. All of us need to be affirming and affirming the faithful and challenging the wanderers. Man, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with seeing obedient brothers and sisters in Christ and coming alongside them saying, I'm very encouraged by your faithfulness. God has inspired that in you. Praise be to God for your obedience. We could probably do that better, couldn't we? No? This is what makes public speaking hard. You know, I'm needing some you know, acknowledgement that at least more than that, you know. Yeah. Thanks. Doers of the word, not hearers only. We need to be affirming the faithful. We need to be challenging the wonders. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. The writer of Hebrews acknowledges the connection we all share with one another. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, an unbelieving heart 
leading you to fall away from the living God. The you identifies the hearers of this with the body. Do you see that? He's writing this and he's saying to you, you're part of this body. This is your church. You're part of this. Our spiritual bond as a congregation is something we're to affirm and something we are to protect. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24 and 20 through 26, the Apostle Paul writes, But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's how connected we're supposed to be. That's how involved in our one another's lives we're supposed to be. The warning given here is substantive and it is direct. Unbelief and disobedience lead to apostasy. Leading you to fall away. How else can you describe that? Leading people to abandon the faith. You say, well, gosh, that's scary. Yeah, it should be. Don't draw any hard and fast conclusions yet. I'm not done. Every member of the church is to be concerned about faith and obedience. Each of us is to function as supporters of holiness and righteousness. This is not the fruit of superiority. But it is the practice of those who have learned to be humbly dependent on Jesus in the life of the church. The doctrine of eternal security is not meant to comfort the wayward. Do I and does this church believe that when God saves his people, that those people are secure and safe and will, that his people will endure to the end and find salvation and it's absolutely a guaranteed surety? Yes, it is. I believe that. I believe that once God saves us, we can never lose the salvation he gave us. I didn't earn it, and I can't keep it. It's a gift. But one of the realities of this gift is it bears fruit. And it bears the fruit of perseverance. And the perseverance is the refinement of us as we're walking in this life so that God shapes us, molds us, conforms us to the image of his son and we don't resist that and we don't turn away from that and apostatize and go away. Those in apostasy would be this, those who really have been exposed to the truth, they know the truth, but they turn away and walk away. It wasn't real. The narrow way of salvation is a path of progressive sanctification that is consistently marked by repentance and faith. This is what's so incredible to me as a pastor of a church. I could sit here right now and I could ask for hands. How many of you, how many of you 
believe that you still struggle with sinfulness and you're going to raise your hands and please don't raise your hands. I don't, I'm, I could ask you that. I could say, how many of you deal with sin? And I could say to you, how many of you think you sinned last week? And I'm, every hand in this place would probably go up. And if I said, well, how many of you sinned probably in the last day or two? Once again, don't you think most hands are going up? But then you ask people, what does repentance and faith look like in your life? What's one of the, tell me, right here on the spot, tell me, what's a sin that you just have committed recently and you've repented and you've asked God to change your heart in? Well, I know they're there. You, you know what I'm saying, don't you? Where there ought to be just really, well, let, where do I start? You know, and all of us can laugh at that, but see, the reality is repentance and faith are not as characteristic in our walk as they should be. And when that's the case, then that means our Christian walk is not as healthy as it should be. And that means our church is not as healthy as it should be. Because we got to take this walk in faith and truth seriously. Everything in my flesh wants to go against God. Amen? Everything in this man's flesh wants to go against God. And it is the power of the Spirit of God and the grace of God and the truth of God that causes us to want and long for anything different. <laughs> I could, I'm never going to earn my salvation. I'm never going to prove myself worthy of my salvation. That is nonsensical. You say, well, if we're saved and we're secure then what's the big deal? Well, obviously, perseverance and the doctrine of perseverance and understanding the structure of perseverance is an important part of Christ building His church so that we take these things seriously. Does that make sense? It's not just, hey, well, you know, willy-nilly. Do whatever. See you in heaven. You say, well, I shouldn't. It's not that lax, but it certainly acts. It seems like it can be, can't it? Man, we should be very concerned about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Our living God is not detached and a disinterested. He's not a detached and disinterested being. Our God is the living God who's actively engaged in what's happening on earth and in the lives of his people. He's alive. He's functioning. He's here. He cares about us. He's concerned about us. And he's empowering us to care for one another. He's aware of all that happens in the lives of his people, and he is active in refining as well as purging and cleansing. And we should never neglect that this concept, the living God, 
the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's alive. We should honor him as such. We should embrace him as such. He's alive in us. Believers are vigilant about keeping one another on the battlefield, advancing the faith, verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Exhorting one another. Pericoleo is the word that's behind this. It's, you know, the idea of it can, earnestness, pleading, begging. But it's the idea of coming alongside of someone and calling them to this way of going. You know, those people, it's like the Barnabas mindset. You know, you come along people and you try to encourage them to do the right thing. You support people, you're there. That's the idea. But exhort one another, come alongside one another to encourage and admonish. The substance of our encouragement is not our own personal thoughts and feelings. Well, I've been thinking about the way you're behaving. And it's, hey, I'm concerned about what's going on because what you're doing seems contrary to what God would have us. Shouldn't this be the basis? It's not our feelings. Our feelings are worthless if they're not guided by truth. Feelings are wonderful when they're guided by truth. We're to shine the light of God's truth consistently on the will and the ways of our Lord recorded in the Bible. Everything about us should be about His Word, walking in His truths, walking in His principles. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Our concern should be to go beyond Sundays and small group meetings. Not that encouraging one another on Sundays and small groups is unimportant. But when He says, but exhort one another when? What does he say? Every day. Every day. How often is that? That's every day. See, our concept of church, it's a Sunday go to meeting thing. And if I'm really holy and really spiritual, I'll get in a small group. But you see, this is to be our care and concern for one another consistently, constantly. We should care about one another's lives. You say, well, how? Well, then you and Chris and Gene, you've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> and that's the point, brother. No small group of people can do it all. We've all got to be concerned about one another. We've all got to care about one another. We need to do this constantly. God crosses your path with people intentionally for a reason. You need to take that to heart. We can't treat this lightly. We can't treat this nominally. This is significant. Christ died for the church. He gave himself up for the church. See, this instruction applies to every member of the covenant community of the local church. We, are, we all need to express consistent care and concern for one another and there is to be mutuality of, in all of this. And by that I say this. When the flow goes one way, when all you do is receive, 
Oh, you get all kinds of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, insight. You know the Bible. Maybe you know it inside and out, backward, forward, sideways. When the flow goes one way and it's all in and there's no outlet, what do you get? A stinking, stagnant pool. You get hearts and minds full of self-righteous insights that puff up and contaminate because no humble outlet exists. We've got to stop this manifestation of pride. If the Word of God just puffs you up, makes you feel proud, you don't understand the Word of God. It needs to be... We need to break that dam open. We need to destroy that pride that sets us up in that way. That we feel like we've achieved because of everything we know. We are to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Drawing on the point that was presented in Psalm 95, and we're going back to last week's message and the Psalm 95 that is quoted in this passage, and it's quoted repeatedly, by the way. Today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So drawing on that present point presented in Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, it indicates that correction must happen before God determines no more time will be given for repentance and faith. You say, well, I don't know that I like that. Well, I don't know what you mean by that. You, you, I've always been taught that there's always hope, and there's always an opportunity, and God always will extend his hand and welcome you. It's not true. It's not biblical. There's a limitation. Why does, you say because he makes the point repeatedly, and it's quoted in Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. What does that indicate? The time may run out. There may not be another day for repentance. You see, the time for repentance is not indefinite. Biblically, the reality is that God would, would you agree with me that God is a very patient and forbearing and merciful God, abounding in love and overflowing with incredible kindness and mercy? Amen? But there's a limitation to that. And it's, it's recorded in Scripture. Biblically, the reality is that God's patience is limited. Hebrews 12, verses 15 through 17. This is just one example, and I'm not going to unpack a bunch of others because I don't have time for it. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 15 through 17 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. 
passage like that, you go, well, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, I tell you what, wandering out into the slew of sin and selfishness, folks, you're playing with fire. God may say, fine, go your way. You said, well, that, that's, that's not the God that I, I think about. That's not how I, God's always willing to receive us back. Clearly, there's a limitation to God's patience. Should we be concerned about that? Should we be acting in a way as a church that says, man, we don't, we don't have any time to waste. We should be concerned about one another. We don't want to be playing around with sin. We don't have any idea. Let's get serious about this, right? That should be what we're concerned about. We're, it's time to stop playing church and be the church. What are you trying to say, Pastor Mark? I think you're hearing me pretty clearly. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, we, can, we cannot turn a deaf ear to the call to repentance indefinitely. Hearts develop spiritual calluses to conviction. Resisting the truth and resisting correction has consequences. So what should you do? Well, stop your self-serving justifications. Humbly respond to the conviction with confession and repentance, trusting in God's forgiveness and power to restore. You see, there comes a point when the hardness and deceitfulness of the people of the church reveal that the Lord is done seeking repentance. And then the church is done. Fellowship must be severed because that yeast of sin will work through the whole batch of dough. We can't allow that to exist because it is a contaminant. Who should not allow that to exist? Us. Us. Don't look at the elders and go, you guys shouldn't allow that to exist. It's us. We're the church, aren't we? It's our responsibility to care, protect the church. Verse 14. Believers help other believers remain faithful to the end. For we have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How do you know you're truly a child of God? Well, we've come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The justification of every believer is paid in full by the faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake He was made, Jesus was made to be sin. Him who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the truth. We trust that. We believe that. But you see, perseverance reveals if one's justification is genuine or not. Perseverance is not the work of retaining our salvation. We didn't earn it, and we can't retain it. Perseverance is the work of God displaying the reality of that salvation openly. We stick by the stuff because the stuff is in us by God's grace. Failure to persevere does not show that people can lose their salvation. Failure to persevere shows that people were never justified, so they do not faithfully progress through the refinement of sanctification. 
For we have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Original confidence. The way of life in Christ, the way it began is the way it continues. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thankfulness. Boy, there's nothing more exciting to see a new believer who's excited about the forgiveness and life he has in Christ. Amen? What should supersede that? Every one of us old-timers. Our thrill and our enthusiasm should be off the charts. What are we doing? We're going to let babies outshine us? Nonsense. Man, we got to stir one another up to love and good deeds. We need to maintain that original confidence all the way to the end. Our first love is to be an enduring love. Remembering, we love God because He loved us first. You and I would never love God if He hadn't loved us first. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. How serious is this, folks? Understand this. We're the church. You're not on your own. You're not on your own. We're a community. We're a covenant community of faith. Ask for help. If you're struggling, ask for help. Scream for help. Do whatever's necessary. Let people know. I'm struggling here. We're here to help. And please offer to help those who are in need. You say, well, pastor, man, my life is busy. There isn't a person here who can't say that. We got, we're called to take care and concern for one another. Now stick with me, because I'm going to blaze through the rest of this. Believers learn from history the importance of not repeating the past verses 15 through 18. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The writer of Hebrews returns to the teaching of Psalm 95, the one he quoted earlier, Psalm 95, verses 7 through 8. For he is our God, we are his people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts at Meribah, quarreling, as on the day at Massa, testing, in the wilderness. You see, if your heart senses the probe and pursuit of God, it is foolish to ignore Him. If you're a child of God by faith in Jesus, your redemption is done. Your refinement is not. 
For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? Those who heard and rebelled were those who were delivered from Egypt. They cried out for deliverance. They asked for God to help them to get out of there. They wanted out of there. God sent Moses to take them out of there. Amazing things that were done to get them out of there, wasn't it? For who were those who heard and rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? You see, if you know Jesus as the great and glorious deliverer, rebellion is foolish. It's just foolishness. Just as Israel rebelled and experienced judgment, apostasy will be punished much more severely. Verse 17, And with whom was he provoked those 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? You see, the rebellious among the Israelites experienced the consequences for their unbelief and disobedience. They never entered the rest. But they perished in the wilderness. Turning from humbly walking with Jesus and his church reveals your prideful soul is damned. Period. So I came to church to get an encouraging message. What is this? <laughs> Folks, it's the truth. We need to take it to heart. And to whom did he swear that they would never enter his rest? But those who were disobedient. Those living in disobedience are denied the rest of entering the promised land. If you live in disobedience, you will not be welcomed into the rest of the Lord. We don't deserve or earn eternal rest, but our obedience or disobedience reveals who owns our heart. Believers will remain faithful and achieve the goal of salvation. Verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And how is unbelief made evident? Unbelief made evident by disobedience reveals that there's no true saving faith. You see, faith and obedience are united. You can't say, I believe in God and don't obey. Won't work. Sorry. You can't say, I believe in God, but I just don't obey. Faith, intimately connected to obedience. True faith will consistently obey. Those who do not obey do not have faith. Perseverance is the fruit God gives to those who trust God. We will persevere, and God will enable us as the church to help this happen. That's what he's promised. We need each other. We're the, we're the means by which God helps us all to persevere. His church is the means by which Jesus builds his church. Isn't that incredible? So questions to consider. Why is it important to keep your eyes open for fellow believers overcome with sin and selfishness? It's certainly not so you can say, well, I'm doing a whole lot better than them. You need to open your eyes because you care and you want to help them, you want to support them, you want to get them out of the pit. And when you're in the pit, don't you want somebody to help you? <laughs> Be careful how you answer that. 
Because a lot of times when you're in the pit, you don't want anybody's help. You're slapping hands as fast as they're coming. And the people offering the help need to be persistent, don't they? Never leave that bank of truth, but you stick that hand out and you do it for faithfully and firmly because you care. See, you got to ask the other side of this question too. How open are you to the concern of others expressed in the church? And I've noticed some things. I'm concerned about you. What? <laughs> no. You going to be open? What does falling away from the living God look like? What does that look like? What does it look like for you? What does that look like for others? How can you do a better job of exhorting faithfulness in your brothers and sisters daily? If, if we come away from this passage and we go, well, every day, seriously, do you care enough that you're going to be involved in people's lives? You're going to do the hard work of being the church, enabled by God, because this is what blesses us. We need each other and we need to be involved and we need to be consistently involved in one another's lives. What does perseverance reveal? And what does the lack of perseverance reveal? You see, perseverance, pressing through, keeping going, that's not saying you avoid all the hardships. No, you press through, you endure, you fight off sin, you fight off selfishness, you continue to deal. It's not that you deny sin and selfishness, it's you're battling it. What does that reveal? You're saved. You're a child of God. What does the lack of perseverance reveal? You have no life. You walk away. What is the role of the church in supporting perseverance? Well, we have our job cut out for us. God wants to use us and empower us and help us and equip us so that we help one another persevere. And i got to love you enough to say that that's what my heart desires. And you know what? I can't love you enough to do that if Christ isn't real in me. Because, and you can't love me enough. Because I'm quite honestly, as cute as you think I am, I'm not that lovable. <laughs> and it goes both ways, you see. We've got to be in this together for the cause of Christ. And for the glory of God in one another's lives. We've got to do this. We've got to make this happen. We've got our work cut out for us. Aren't you thankful that Christ enables us to be his church? Aren't you thankful to know that Christ said, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Church, we must rise triumphant. Each and every one of us. We have our work cut out for us. Let's get it done. God, help us as your people to live faithfully on your earth. God, I pray that you would refine us and shape us and make us the people you want us to be. Give us a hunger for truth. Give us a hunger for righteousness. And not just self-serving righteousness, but a righteousness that loves and cares and ministers to those around us. God, create firm and faithful households in this world so that these households of your church impact our church and our society. 
in powerful and amazing ways. Come, help us to walk in truth. Help us to do this hard work that we cannot do on our own. We are absolutely dependent upon you to make this happen, God. Build your church. Build us up in this most holy faith. We plead with you, God, to make this a reality. For the glory of your name in Christ. Amen.